The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to The Bad Broadcast. I'm your host, Maddie Murphy. Hi, guys. Welcome back to a new episode of The Bad Broadcast. The episode with Haley is already done. I'm popping on here to do an intro after we've already recorded because, I mean, obviously you've probably seen the episode title and the episode description, so you know what this episode is about. But I just want to make it very, very, very explicitly clear before you begin the episode that this episode talks about religion and it talks about Mormonism. And I give this preamble out of love because I know that not everybody wants to hear that. I know that this is a triggering topic for a lot of people. I went back and forth on like what to say in the intro because I don't want to come across like I'm coddling people, like people should, you know, whatever. But I also think that you should be aware of what you're getting into. With that said, I hope you listen. I mean, I, I hope you do. Of course, I hope you listen. But I I just want you to know what you're getting yourself into if you do. Haley and I are obviously both ex-Mormons. We talk about our experiences and some thoughts that we have and just know that that's what this is. And I do this again with so much love and just for your own sake, for my sake, that you're not getting into an episode that you don't want to hear. I just really feel strongly about you guys, you know, consenting to what you're listening to. So that's what this topic covers. Haley is genuinely just one of the wisest people I've ever known. She's such a safe place for me. My experience with Mormonism is not something that I talk about a whole lot out of fear and out of other things, but she's just, she was a really safe landing place for me this past year. And I went on her podcast and talked about my faith transition. And so I was so happy to have her on and talk about it again. It might not be for you, but I I hope you listen to it. I hope that we can, you know, hear each other out on different topics and things like that. But if it's not for you and you don't want to hear maybe some harsher critiques of, of the church or of Mormonism, then I totally respect that. And it's totally okay if you don't want to listen, but please enjoy, should you choose to my episode with Haley Rawl from the Girls Camp podcast. Hello. Hi. Haley. Hi. This is a long time coming for me. I'm so excited. I feel like I've been waiting for you for years <gasps> oh my of gosh. my life because as I said in the intro, which I haven't recorded at this current moment, but I know I will say in the intro, Haley runs the Girls Camp podcast, mm-hmm. which you've been doing for almost a year. Crazy, Are you right? coming up on your anniversary? Yeah, January 24th. Oh my gosh. A year. How does it feel? Really good. Yeah. Kind of crazy. You know how it is. Oh yeah. Uh, you should do a, I mean, every year, I'm just telling you what to do now, but Please. every year I, I do a, like an anniversary episode mm. and I list like things that I learned in my year of podcasting. And I would, uh, even if it's just for me privately, will you record yes. a private episode of what you learned? Cause a hundred percent. I just, I mean, and I heard this Kate Kennedy was kind of like my podcaster that entered like the solo space. And then I kind of copied her in a lot of ways. And I like went to her for everything. And then I don't know, just seeing other women enter the solo podcasting space is really cool and meaningful and hard and bonding and awesome. So you I would, are my Kate Kennedy. Well, 1000%. I, I hope to be one day. You but really are. I would just love to know what the year has been like for you running the Girls Camp podcast. Yeah. It is so interesting when you're talking about solo podcasting mm-hmm. as a female. It's yeah. a very specific thing to be doing. And 
it's a catalyst for growth, as I'm sure you've experienced yes. as well. And then you add the post-Mormon aspect onto it. Totally. And I feel like that has been an additional area that has kind of forced me to grow. But it really is insane looking back on who I was last year. And that sounds cliche and no, that might sound no, silly. Not at all. Literally not at all. I could not agree more. Yes. Yeah. It makes a huge difference just because it forces you to speak your opinions. A lot of them all of the time. Sometimes ones you don't even know are inside of your brain. Like sometimes percent. I'll be rambling and I'll be like, I didn't know that was in there. Or people will be like, oh, you said this. And I'll be like, did I? Well, it must be in there because when you're doing it solo, you're like filling all this space and mm -hmm. all this time in, you know, an hour a week that you really have to dig in and be like, what do I actually think about this? How can I expand on this? How can I talk more about this? And it has let, yeah, I totally feel you. It leads to a lot of exactly self-discovery that it's not always exactly. great. Exactly. <laughs> and there's a lot of processing. There's processing in real time and then getting feedback on the processing that yes. you've done in real time. And I think as you were talking, I was thinking about one of the aspects of podcasting that I really, really love. And I feel like I've experienced this when I was in phases where I was writing a lot is that you almost start living your life where you're like, oh, I want to talk about that on the podcast. Yeah. And then you think about it more and then you really analyze it and really get into it. And so I feel like it's almost made me better at living life because totally. I'm looking around all the time thinking about like, oh, I want to talk about that. And how do I want to talk about yeah. it? And whether it's something silly and trivial or something that's less silly and trivial, I think it's helped me a lot to just be more thoughtful yeah. about my own life. Yeah. And I know that doing an episode here on my end, because I went on girls camp a few months ago and we talked about my faith transition and you've obviously done an amazing job talking about your transition and opened up all of these different doors. And I have gone back and forth for literally years, like years of my life. Cause I, I left and basically it was like the beginning of 2021 when it really started happening. And I have just grappled for years about if I should talk about it on the podcast. I mean, I've had people, I just got a review like a couple of weeks ago of somebody being like, you talk too much about the church. Like you got to let it go. It's too triggering. And I totally understand as I know you do, like it is a triggering topic. Yeah. I totally get that. However, it is so much of me that I have skirted around for years of my life. And that's what I, why I was saying, I feel like I've been waiting for you because you have created this amazing space for women specifically to process post-Mormonism in the podcasting world. And it's, it was like this perfect thing where I was like, I've been waiting for Haley so that I could have, I mean, it's really selfish of me. I shouldn't say it like that because no, I, love, I love you as a person anyway, but just that you have, I feel very empowered by you and very safe and all of that. So I just felt like it was the perfect time to open up both of our stories on this end of things on the bad broadcast, because it is who I am. I mean, it's who I am at my core. I mean, I always say I'm still very Mormon at my core practicing or not. Like it has made me exactly who I am. And so if I talk too much about it, I want to say sorry, but I also am like, that's just kind of who I am. And I would love to be able to, you know, do away with things that have hurt me or caused me pain or whatever. But it's like, that's just, it's just part of me. 
So that's kind of what I want to open up about. I want to talk about your story with Mormonism, how you felt starting girls camp, how you kind of how, well, how you started it and how you felt about starting a podcast. Cause they don't, I mean, there's one post-Mormon podcast. I shouldn't say that there's multiple, but there's really not one like you're doing. That's kind of female specific. It's for like nuanced members and like newly post Mormon. So talk about your story. Hey, talk about, I know you shared it a million times, but share it with people who maybe haven't heard yet. Yes. Talk about the beginning of the end as you called it on your podcast. Yes. I love the beginning of the end start. Yeah. I love, thank you for all of that. First of all, of course. I wanted to say quickly before I jump into my story, I love what you said about post-Mormonism and Mormonism being such a part of you, mm-hmm. because I think that was my intention with girls camp from the very beginning was yes, there's this thing that yes, has hurt us and has caused various amounts of trauma and pain, but it also just is inevitably a piece of our DNA. If you've been Mormon for Literally. any amount of time, it is. I mean, it's my ancestry. Exactly. You know, it's like fundamental to who I am as a person. Exactly. It's your childhood. It's your adolescence. And I wanted to create a podcast where we could talk about it in all of the ways, mm-hmm. right? And I think even on Girls Camp, there's a lot of times where we're talking about, oh, that was a lovely part of Mormonism, or that was a funny part of Mormonism, or this is just a crazy, cultural, quirky part of Mormonism, because it just inevitably is part of the story yeah. of so many of our lives. Yeah. So, well, and there's there's nothing, I don't think there's anything that is all good or all bad. Exactly. We'll get into this later, I'm sure. But I get a lot of messages from people that say, I'm so glad you're not one of those angry ex-Mormons. I'm so glad that you, you know, you don't shit talk the church. I'm so glad that, you know, and I get where they're coming from and they have really great intentions in complimenting me in that. But I feel that it discredits the hurt and the pain and the anger that I have felt that I haven't maybe, you know, explicitly said, but it also makes me feel like, well, what about the women who have been more hurt? Why, why, why is theirs not as important? Why can't we listen to them also? Why is anger in women this, I mean, this emotion that is so irrational that it's not even to be believed by anybody. So anyway... It can get very overwhelming trying to figure out how to like get nutrients, especially when you're in my position where nutrients are not very delicious. (laughs) Sometimes I struggle, okay, with getting those things that I need because, you know, other things taste better and I don't want to just put a bunch of powders and pills in my body that I don't know what they're doing. So that's why I tried AG1 because AG1 is going to fill those key nutrient gaps in a really easy, healthy way. One scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. It's so unbelievably easy. Just one scoop of AG1 covers nutrient gaps and supports mental and physical health in just 60 seconds every single morning. It covers your bases with high quality ingredients like pre and probiotics, adaptogens, antioxidants, and whole food sourced nutrients. I know if I drink it daily, I'm going to feel better. My gut's going to be in better shape. Also, everybody in my house steals them from me because they love them so much. And I'm like, that's my AG1. Please don't 
touch it. I got to give my body that high quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through rigorous testing so you know that it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrient density. AG1 is the supplement I trust most to provide the support my body needs daily. And that's why I am excited to be partnering with them. If you want to take ownership of your health this year, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash badbroadcast. That's drinkag1.com slash badbroadcast. Hi, I'm Claire. And I'm Erica. We're the hosts of A Thing or Two. We are professional enthusiasts constantly on the hunt for the products, books, and trends that should be on your radar. And we share them with you every Monday, whether it's marinated olive oil that we're putting on everything, a deep dive on pillows, or the fact that suddenly gas stoves are on everyone's out list for 2023. We challenge the friends we invite on the show to bring their own favorite thingies too. Like when Ellen Van Dusen spilled about the IG account that's keeping her current with the youths. We also love a gift guide. We take listener questions, Dear Abby style, and tell you what to get your vegan minimalist coworker or your sister-in-law who loves to hunt. So be sure to listen and follow A Thing or Two with Claire and Erica wherever you listen to podcasts. That was a sidetrack, but remind me to go back to that as you talk about your story. So much, so much to say there. Okay, my story. I would say I was a true blue Mormon gal. Mm -hmm. Grew up in Provo, Utah. So very similar to Highland where you grew up. Mm -hmm. Just very Mormon, Mormon community, Mormon culture, Mormon family culture. Were your parents converts? No. Okay. Pioneer ancestry. Both sides. A far way back. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know my ancestry. Do you know yours? I do, but only because I got very obsessed and I was like, I need to find who's responsible for this. I was like, how did this all begin? And so I got really into my ancestry like two years ago. That's fun though. So I, I could mean, like name, I could name like all of my people and like where they're from. See, I love that. <laughs> I want to do that because it's all been done for me. I'm like, yeah. I literally could just read it, but I do know that it goes back yes. a good ways. So yes, very Mormon through and through. My parents grew up Mormon, the whole thing. And as an adolescent, girl in the church, I think I had just kind of the similar problems that most Mm -hmm. adolescent girls tend to have. Yeah. You know, there was the Bishop interview stuff where I was having to confess sexual quote sin Mm -hmm. to a Bishop. I got, did you think that it was weird at the time? I remember at the time feeling a deep sense of injustice and anger. Mm. But I think that was more rooted in the fact, not so much like this is very inappropriate, which I've come to learn in retrospect, but more so in the sense that I felt like I was doing my very best Mm -hmm. to be a good Mormon girl. And I was reading my scriptures and I was praying and I was going to church and I was participating. And then because I was dry humping my boyfriend, I was made to feel like a bad person who didn't have a connection with God and with Jesus. And that was where I was feeling frustrated in the moment. Right. Well, to even recognize that at that age, I mean, I really, honestly, I didn't think any of it was weird. Like I really, I didn't think anything about growing up Mormon was weird. Like I would tell people like when we would go out of town or somebody would ask about it, they'd say, oh, you're from Utah. Are you Mormon? I'd be like, yeah. They'd be like, oh, don't Mormons do this? And I'd be like, yeah, we do. We do wear that. Uh We do do that. Yeah. Isn't it great? Isn't that, what do you mean? Is that weird? Like, I mean, nothing struck me as weird. 
until much later in life. Yeah. So the fact that you had the wherewithal as a, I mean, as a, I mean, we're kids when you're doing that. Yeah. A little really, bit. Is really, you're, you're ahead of your, ahead well, of your age. I do think I had a little bit of that wherewithal, yeah. just a little bit. Yeah. Cause I do think you don't really have a concept of how bizarre it is when it's all, you know, totally. And in Provo, it's all, you know. Yeah. But I do think that even as a teen, I was kind of one of those like angsty mm-hmm. reading Kurt Vonnegut, reading Cormac McCarthy right. type of gals. Yes. So I think that kind of played into like almost this personality bit of it too, where I was like wanting to be a little counterculture, wanting to be a little different. And so I definitely was willing to be like, well, yeah, like obviously the gospel is true, but the church culture do, 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 do. Yeah. Like yeah. that kind of It's so funny. Is it funny to look back at that and be like, that was like your inner voice being totally. like, Hey, this isn't, this isn't where you're supposed to be. This isn't right. Something's not fitting. Totally. Like you, that you're, you knew even at that age. Totally. Yeah. But I think Mormonism does a really good job too, because kind of later in my story, I felt like I could be that person that was that way, but still be in the church. Totally. Right. Totally. And like, I feel the same way being like a, like I I was a very nuanced member for the last couple of years, which I think most people are. I don't know really anybody who goes from being a hardcore believer to one day leaving. I think there is a, I, I mean, correct me if, if I'm wrong, but I feel like the majority of people I know have a space of trying to reconcile it where you're like, okay, I know that there's, you know, homophobia and sexism. How can I believe in this and fight against this injustice? And how can I, you know, I don't know anybody who goes from one side to the other. I feel like everyone has that nuanced few years. And yeah, I, I remember feeling like, well, I can be like an example. I can be like a pillar for people of maybe not being all the way in and maybe disagreeing with things. And like, I can, I can make it work. Like I know nobody else has, but I can do it. And that was, that was hard to leave behind. Absolutely. Well, and you feel like, I mean, there's so much messaging even within the church that encourages that kind of thinking, I think, where, you know, the church is sometimes the first to say the gospel is true, but the culture is yeah. off or whatever. Well, and I remember hearing lift where you stand yeah. or grow where you're planted or yep, whatever, yep. where it was like, oh, it's okay. We have these little, we have these little kernels in the church that, you know, kind of quell worries or concerns or things like that. I mean, doubt your doubts is a big one. Like I'm saying, Grow where you're, what is it? Grow where, you, where your plants lift where you stand. I think it's lift where you stand. It I was like a relief like a society. Video about yeah, that. yeah. Where it was like basically wherever you are, like that's where you can do the most good. So if you're kind of you know struggling and having a hard time, like that's where you can do the most good. And we have these stepping stones of little sayings that like get you through to the next day. A hundred percent. And they all come crashing down. At yes. One point. But anyway, continue. No, yeah, it's fascinating. Teen years, I think that was kind of where I was at, and then. When the mission age changed, so it used to be that girls couldn't go on missions until 21. Mm -hmm. And then it changed to 19 when I was, I want to say a senior in high school. Mm -hmm. And I'd never thought about going on a mission because up until that point, no, never thought about it. Well, it's interesting because I totally feel you. The age, so my birthday is October and it changed October conference the year I turned 19. Oh my gosh. So, but I had a boyfriend at the time who was like, 
you, I don't want you to go. And I was like, okay, I won't go. <laughs> like, God bless that boyfriend. No, literally. I'm like, <laughs> he was terrible, but he did keep me from going on a mission. No, but I remember before the age change, when it was 21, was that not geriatric to you? Truly geriatric. To think about waiting until I was 21 and then spending a year and a half on a mission. I was like, oh, so I'm going to be 24 when I get married. Are you kidding me? I'm going to be some old ass mom. 21 was insane. I cannot it so overstate old. it. Yeah. It was so old. Yeah. It was, oh, I'm so sorry you haven't gotten married yet. Literally. That you have to go on a mission. Like my parents were mission presidents and I remember seeing sister missionaries and being like, oh, that's so sad. They're so old. Mm-hmm. They just, they couldn't find a husband in time. And they're just these old, like, like in my heart, they were old ladies. They Truly. were 22. Yeah. They were 22 babies. And in my heart, like even I see pictures of my, like when I, my parents were on their mission and I'm like, I remember like sitting on their laps and being like, this is my old lady friend who's old and 22 and single, (laughs) Single. old and single auntie. Yeah. Literally. So it's wild. The age change was epic. Oh, it changed everything. Yeah. It changed everything. And when I was talking to John DeLynn on Mormon stories, he was saying, which I'd never really thought about it, but what a stroke of genius that was from the church. Totally. Because here I was, I was never going to go on a mission. I was trying to go to school out of state. I was like applying to out of state schools. Mm-hmm. Then the age changed. What did I do? Went to BYU yeah. to prepare for my mission and then went on a mission. Yeah. So it was really smart, I think, for that young adult group at the time to really like get people invested for multiple more years than maybe they would have been well, otherwise. Well, I mean, that, that's what getting married young, having kids young. I mean, it's really hard to, it, I, it's harder, I think, to step away from a system like the church when you are married in it, you have kids in it, you have like a schedule every week, you have church every week, like your life is kind of planned out for you. Oh. It's a lot more heavy lifting to be like, okay, I got to uproot my family now. And I got to deconstruct. Like for me, it's like, I I was married, but I didn't have kids. And like, we were deconstructing and like the, the load felt much lighter. Mm. And so I think that pushing marriage young and having kids young, I think it keeps people around longer Totally, because who wants to do that when they have three kids that go to primary that love it. And they want to have to explain to their eight-year-old why they are not getting baptized. Like of course, it's going to be easier. Totally. And I think people stay because of that, because you think not only have you built everything around that, but then you start to see like your relationships with your partner or even with your kids uh-huh. as reliant on Mormonism. Totally. And it's scary to feel like, oh, I got married to someone under this premise of Mormonism that was really such a giant part of everything we thought and believed and did and said, and then leaving that it's like, Oh, is my partnership going to survive that? And I think parents of older children sometimes feel that way. Are my relationships with my children? Is it going to survive that? Yeah. And so it feels easier to stay. And yeah, with the mission thing, it just kind of adds to that sunk cost fallacy of like, totally. well, I just went and did this for a year and a half of yeah. my best years. Yeah. So like, damn. <laughs> my hottest years. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Me yeah. at 19, like rolling around Germany yeah. and like feeling like the frumpiest, frumpiest gal. Okay, I was like, how excited were you when you got called to Germany? I literally said, I'm going to go to Germany. 
Really? Yes. My dad went to Germany. I did take German in high school. So that's probably why they called me there. Right. But even still, you don't always get called where you took high school language. Totally. I said, I'm going to go to Germany. I got my call to Berlin. And my mom said, man, you always have a way of getting what you want. That's what she said to me. (laughs) I remember like there are there are so many funny like there's a lot of funny lore in Mormonism that like I literally live to explain. Like I, when I'm in a room of people who are interested in Mormonism, who have never heard anything about it, I'm like, I cannot wait to tell you like genuinely not in a snarky way. Like it feels like this thing that I am an expert in that when I get to explain it, I am kicking my feet like a little girl. It's so fun. And one of those is the dynamic of missions and mission calls and how, just like you're saying, like, well, I took, I took German in high school and it's like, somebody who's never been Mormon, I'm like, okay, well you fill out this application, Uh right? Which we call your papers and you put on there, you know, where you've lived and languages you've taken and where your parents went, where they're from and all of these things. And then, you know, you have, I think, I think it's changed a lot. Now I see mission call openings like on TikTok and stuff. And I'm like, that's way different than maybe you and I did it when we were like, you know, mission age and we had friends going and you were going and stuff because I'm like, then you have all your friends and family over and, you know, you open the it's call. So and exciting. It's exciting. But can you believe how long mission calls are now? The phrasing of it? Oh, yeah. You it's have like, to read like eight. Say pa- the place. Yeah. So it used to be like you've been called as a missionary of the church. Dear Jesus Sister Christ. Walker. Yeah. You've yes. been called to serve in. Blanks. I'm like, who the hell is Sister Walker? I'm like, what is even th- who is that? Right. Is that you? That's me. <laughs> Part of me somewhere deep down. Deep down. But I I'm like it's Sister Rawl, you mean? No, but. It's anyway, so it used to say that. And then, but there's places, right? That people really want to go. And there's places that nobody, nobody wants a stateside mission. Yep. Nobody wants somewhere close. I remember one of my friends got called to Tucson and it was like Idaho or even like sometimes California. Like, it's like, you want to go somewhere foreign. You want to go somewhere cool. I remember one of my brothers, when he got called to Australia, everybody was like, that's the golden ticket. That's the golden mission call. You get to go foreign. You get to speak English. You get to be somewhere with good weather. Like there's this culture around mission calls. So much. That is so fascinating. So So I can just imagine you getting called to Germany felt very cool. Oh, I thought I was such hot shit. I was like, I'm going to Berlin. Yeah. I'm going to be such a good missionary. Yeah. It's like a sexy mission. Oh yeah. It's so sexy. I was like, this is going to be the most it felt like kind of exotic, but also like edgy. I was like, I'm not going to like London or Italy. Like I'm going to Berlin. Yes. No, it is. I told like, I, I just so get what you mean. It's right? so funny to relive like friends opening their mission calls and where everybody went. And even still to this day, I could tell you where every single one of my high totally. school guy friends went. I can almost tell you to the day when they left, like, because it was such a huge part of our life. Yeah. Right after high school, most of your close guy friends, some of your girlfriends are going on missions. And it is just this very, very, very unique Mm -hmm. thing that only Mormon kids know about. It is not like going to do service projects. It is not like going to college. It is the mission experience. It's the mission experience. I was talking to this couple I interviewed. Their episode went live today, but she ended up going on a mission and they met on their mission and are now getting engaged. Well, they just got engaged, but she was like, I didn't want to go on a mission. I just wanted to know where I would get called. Okay. I felt that same way. I was like, I'm going to do my paper secretly. And just see where you got called. And just see if I got called. But then somebody told me 
that if I don't go, then there's like people there that were planning uh, on me getting baptized. Uh-huh. And if I don't go, you'd then be I, like fucking with God's yes, system. <laughs> I'd be like, only when I open the mission call, then they're suddenly waiting for yeah, me. Yeah. Then suddenly the specific people yes, that need you. As to though do I them. could baptize them, which I couldn't anyway. But like, so I have this huge guilt about it. But part of me, hindsight, I'm like, damn, I wish I would have done that. It's the best personality test ever. That's yeah. what I was saying. I yeah. Was like, there's no greater way of being like, where would God? think my personality fit. And then to be told Berlin, I'm like, hell yeah. Literally. This episode of The Bad Broadcast is brought to you by Squarespace. I know so many of you out there are already running your own businesses, but I also know that there's a lot of you guys out there that are wanting to run your own businesses, but you're just not sure where to start. When I wanted to start my own business, I knew that I needed to get a website but I had absolutely no clue where to begin on building a website. I was like, I'm not a coder. I can't do this. Then I found Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether you're just starting out or you're managing a growing brand, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything from products to content to time, all in one place, all on your terms. Also, I started out with merch and Squarespace makes merch super easy. You can easily sell custom merch and create a passive income stream that engages your audience and scales your brand. If you're not selling merch and you're selling something else, you can also do that on Squarespace. They have an online store where you can sell your products and it looks amazing. You just get started with one of their professional website templates with designs for every category, and then you can customize your look, update the content, and add features to fit your unique needs. All of your content is in one place with a new asset library, and you can manage all of your files from one central hub and use them across Squarespace. They make it really, really simple. So head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And then when you're ready to launch, you can go to squarespace.com slash bad to save 10% off of your first purchase of a website or domain. This episode of The Bad Broadcast is sponsored by Quince. I love giving gifts. I love picking out individual things for all the people in my life that I love, but it can really add up. And you want to make sure that you're getting people something nice, but you don't want to have to, you know, go into personal debt to get everybody something that they're going to love. That's why this holiday season, I have shopped at Quince. Quince is my go-to place for luxury essentials at affordable prices for everybody on their list including myself. Quince offers a range of high quality items with prices within reach, like 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters starting at $50, washable silk tops and dresses, cotton sweaters, and comfy pants. And the best part is that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. That's why I am giving the gift of Quince. Quince partners directly with top factories, so they cut out the cost of the middleman and they pass on the savings to you. I have loved their maternity stuff. I have a nursing bra from them. I have a robe from them. It is such a good gift. If there's anybody in your life who is expecting, these make great gifts and everything is super soft, but really nice quality. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. So get affordable luxury for everyone on your list with Quince. Go to quince.com slash bad for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash bad to get free shipping and 365 day returns. That's quince.com slash bad. So 
you go on your mission. And I mean, I, I find this fascinating about like Lucy as well. Really, really loved her mission. Mm. Like really like, I mean, grew a lot personally. And I mean, I remember when her and I first became friends and she was like, I mean, I don't believe it, but I still like learned a lot. I learned about myself. I lived on my own for almost two years. I got along with a bunch of different personality types. Like it was a growth experience no matter what. Yeah. Do you feel that way? Do you feel mad at your mission? I'm so glad I went, which is such a strange thing to say. And I feel like there's layers of just like luck to that. Yeah. My mental health was not great, but it could have been worse. Like I was in a mode where it was like I could still glean a lot of good stuff from it. But yeah, kind of a love hate thing where yeah. it's a weird, it's very weird to reconcile a mission because even now I look at my girls, the twins, and I'm like, oh, you don't get to go on a mission. Yeah. I only know life with this really significant rite of passage of going on a mission. Yeah. But then I remind myself, you didn't go on a mission. You're fine. Yeah. Like yeah. you made it into adulthood without totally, it. Totally, totally. Everybody does. You don't need it. But when it's your rite of passage, it feels super important. And it feels like, well, how are people going to get those experiences and that growth any yeah. other way? I kind of feel that way about divorce. Oh, like, I, I kind of feel that way that I'm like, like when when women like slide into my DMs and they're talking about their divorce, I'm like, I am so happy that you get to experience what you're about to experience. Like you mm. get to experience this rebirth, this this growth. You get to feel this freedom after being in an unhealthy marriage. You get to like that you get that. But I don't sit and hope that totally. people get divorced. You totally. know what I mean? Yes. Is that, is that kind of how oh, you feel? Absolutely. Okay. Where okay. you think like, and you understand too, not everybody needs to get divorced to get to a certain place in their life. Totally. But because that was what you needed and what you went through, it's weird to imagine that people wouldn't go through that specific thing. Totally. So totally. for me, it was just so integral to my life. And yeah, there's plenty I could say about it, but I would say overall, I'm glad I went. It was a very, very meaningful experience to me. But also, I think it was when I really started in earnest to kind of take a step back and look around and be like, this isn't really making a ton of sense, which is odd because it was also when I was most immersed in it and invested in it. Totally. But just the experience of getting out of the bubble, which it was my first experience doing that and looking around and being like, none of these people know what Mormonism is. Yeah this isn't a faulty system if this is apparently the best way to be happy. And yet no one knows what it is. And when I try and tell them, they say, go away. Which is the most wild experience growing up Mormon and in Utah, because you really do think most people know what Mormonism is. This literally happened last year to me. I went to New York by myself. This was last. So it was like May, maybe March. I don't know. May, 2022. I remember I was in a, in a, like a corner store and I was like, oh yeah, I'm from Utah. I like used to be Mormon. And they were like, Mormon. They're like, what, what is that? What's Mormon? And I was like, you've never, what do you mean? Like what, like literally uh, like less than two years ago, I was like, what do you mean? You don't like the book of Mormon, like the play they're like, oh yeah, I've seen that like around. I have, I have no idea what Mormon Mormons are or like what Mormon is. Like I have no, and I was like, even still I'm learning how niche and small so small that this world is so because small. when it's your whole world you just assume that it's everybody's whole world totally. so yeah getting out of the bubble so you're there totally do you still speak german and bisschen it's a strange language it's fun 
I find it actually, speaking of sexy missions, yeah. I always have found it kind of sexy and people are always like, German's so guttural and like gross. No. But if you hear like when I was on my mission, like a young adult German boy speak German. It's so cute. Yeah, it's cute. Have you been back since? Yes, we've been back twice. You actually, have, Bentley and I together. You haven't taken the girls yet? No. Is it in the plans to take them? Yeah, maybe when they're like 10. Yeah. So I'm trying to think. I went to, well, I went to Germany a few years ago, a few summers ago. Well, I don't know why I'm saying a few. It was like eight years ago with my parents. I don't think it was in your mission in Ravensburg. Mm, I think that's more south. Yeah, I yeah. think it might be in the Alpine Germany mission. Yes, which was a very cool mission. Yeah, but Germany, I mean, Germany is amazing. I mean, yeah, I, it, it was is, amazing. Yeah. I felt really connected to the culture of Germany. I always really liked World War II novels and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like the the shelf, you know, the proverbial, I don't know if I use that right, but it sounded sounds, nice. Sounds <laughs> Sounds great sounds to me. Cool, right? <laughs> sounds wonderful. The shelf started to really, you know, is kind of packing things on that shelf. Right. Especially, I remember being a missionary thinking, this so obviously doesn't work. Missionary work doesn't work. Yeah. It's not efficient. It's very inefficient. And just kind of being like, hmm. So then why are they sending us out here to do this thing? And then not just telling us the truth, which is like, oh, we want you to grow and learn and do a hard thing. They're like, no, we're out here to actually teach people the gospel. But it's like, but no one wants to hear it. What was your answer that you gave yourself? I really connected at that point in my life with the whole martyrdom complex of Mormonism. Love. Which I think is a fascinating topic in and of itself. But I would read the Book of Mormon of like, so-and-so was up on the wall trying to preach the gospel and people were throwing stones at them. Like that's mm -hmm. a very Mormon thing to be like, actually, the more people hate us and the more persecuted we are, that means it's really, really, really true. Yes. This is what obliterated my shelf. And I, I touched on it on, when I was on girls camp, but I was listening to this podcast called Time Suck. People hear me talk about it. I, it's like half my personality, but this comedian, he does deep dives on every topic you can imagine. And he has a Mormonism or no, he has a, one about the Nexium cult. And he talks about this, this backfire effect, or I mean, I think, I mean, confirmation bias is part of that, but the backfire phenomenon is that we're basically told in the church, people are going to attack you because you have the truth. Things are going to feel hard because you're better than everybody Joseph Smith was murdered because he had the truth. It cannot be overstated that that was told to me as a fact. Like, this is why people don't like Mormons. People are going to lie about Mormon history because we have the truth and we have the goodness and we have, you know, the fullness of the gospel. Mm -hmm. That is why people are going to make things hard for Mormons. And that's why people are going to disagree with you. And that's why people are going to make you feel bad. And so they prep you for when somebody comes to you and says, Hey, weren't Mormons like, didn't you guys like marry like, like young girls off and didn't, isn't there like a lot of like a history of abuse and like all this stuff. And then you've already taken care of it. You're like, Oh, I was warned about this. You're saying that because I'm right. Yep. I knew this would happen. I knew this would happen. I knew that you would say that. So it confirms everything you thought. And so do you feel like that was kind of what you were doing? Like, Oh, this yes. is hard. Because it's true. Yes. You explain that so well because it plays so well into this idea of you don't even realize it, but subconsciously it's like, I am better. I know more. And not only do I know more, I'm willing to be persecuted for it. I'm yes. willing to knock on people's doors and have them tell me 
you're a dumb idiot, go away because it's so tricky. Yeah. And even sitting here, hearing you say that I was realizing like, that's still so deeply embedded in me that sometimes I have to remind myself like, oh, this was pretty clear all along in retrospect, but it was that effect. And I, as my personality, like I lean into that shit so hard because it's that like angsty counterculture where I'm like, no, like I'm the one who knows and people are never going to understand me. I'm misunderstood. And like, yes, there's homophobia, but what people don't understand is that like, I'm an ally because da, 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 da. Like that can take you really far. Yeah. And it does a number on your brain totally. to, to do that. <laughs> no, it really does. And I just remember thinking when he said that, like I said, it was what really did me in because I was like, am I the type of person that receives factual information and decides to ignore it and decides to say, you know what? I think of all the history and of all the facts and of all the verified sources and of all the historians and of all the millions and billions of people who know that Mormonism was built on all of this horrific shit, I still know better. Am I going to be that person? Yep. And I was like, no, I can't, I can't in good conscience exit conscience or conscious conscience. One of those word. I can't exist in the world like in that way. I can't be the person who hears new information and rejects it because it's a little bit uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I just, I can't do it anymore. And that was like that concept of when I have new information, I will change my mind accordingly. Mm -hmm. Like that little thing changed everything. It changed. I mean, it's, uh, it changed my marriage. It changed my belief system because I had to start looking at what is in front of me and what is factual and what is real. You know what I mean? Preach that from the rooftops because <laughs> I just had someone reach out and they were like, I really want to read the CS letter. I want to read letter for my wife, which is just compilation of yeah. essentially it, the history of Mormonism, the more problematic side of things. And I said, just remember, this is information. Yeah. And if information, sure, information has bias, sure, information, I mean, check your sources, whatever, but you should never, ever, ever be afraid. To inform yourself. Yeah. Well, no, it's it's exactly that. It was when I got over that people are not delivering this information. Like this podcast, this comedian that I listen to, he's not saying these things to bash anybody or to bash the church or to hurt me or to be polarizing. Like he loves history. He was talking about, I mean, he has a, a Mormonism episode that's wonderful where he talks about the history. And I remember the first time I listened to it, which was a few years ago, I remember feeling very personally attacked. Like, why would you talk about this? Why would you say these things? And then as I was deconstructing and I re-listened to it and I was like, he's literally researching. He's he's giving a very, he's saying things like, Joseph Smith had this many wives. That should not be an emotional statement when it is fact, when it is written down, when we have, we have more proof of that than a lot of other history, we believe. Yep. Yep, a yep. lot of other things that we are like, yeah, that's a fact, but it's like, Oh, but Joseph Smith, the marriage record, those, eh, those ones feel like, but we inject a lot of emotion into it because we don't like to be wrong, Yep. especially about things that feel very personal. We don't like to, it is not a good feeling. I don't care who you are. Maybe we can practice it and be better at it and be better at adjusting. It still sucks to be wrong. I, and like, I don't know. So yeah. it's, it was getting over 
that I, I mean, even if people, again, I'm going to say this in the intro that, you know, this is what we're talking about. And I don't want people to dive into this episode and not know that you and I are both ex-Mormon and we're talking about that and we're not really going to sugarcoat it because I do sugarcoat a lot in the podcast about, you know, how I left the church and why I left the church. But I hope that people who are listening know that like, I don't even feel the need anymore to be like, I'm not trying to be snarky. I'm not trying to be like, oh, well, that's really dumb that you think that, or that's like, you know, whatever. Like, I'm trying to talk about this in the in the almost least emotional way that Absolutely. I can, which I know you do and you do it really well because like I just I just don't want us to be scared of being wrong anymore. Mm. It's fine. It's okay. It's okay if you thought something was true, you got some info, you researched it, you checked your sources, you listened to trusted voices, and then you say, "Oh, I didn't know that before." I can change my opinion now. Like that should not feel scary, even though it does. I'm not saying it totally like it just does feel scary. Totally. But I love how you describe that because there are psychological phenomena that like show why we behave the way we behave and why we believe what we believe. There's science, there's psychology, there's history, there's patterns. And that's what I find so endlessly fascinating about this topic and why it's such a rich topic is because it really is a study of like the human brain and human behavior and human spirituality. And that's what I found so beautiful about stepping into this space of post-Mormonism where I don't know what I think or what I believe is because there's so much richness in exploring that. And I feel like when you're so intent on doing what you have just described, which is wait, no, how can I get this to fit my narrative and my beliefs that I've given so much myself to, which as you said, it's difficult for many reasons. But when you do step out of that, there's so many avenues to explore. Yeah. And that can be really fun and can be really interesting. Totally. And well, I was going to ask you this. Do you get sick of talking about it? Honestly, no. Okay. And I think, I mean, yes and no. I think eventually, and we've talked about this a lot. I, we had such a wonderful conversation about this. I imagine the podcast, it's a niche. And I imagine as it already sort of has started to, it will grow. And as it grows, it will kind of expand. Right. So it'll still have its origins in the niche and we'll see where it expands. But I find myself thinking all the time, like if ever I'm laying in bed, like, okay, what do I want to talk about for the next few episodes? It's like, there's, literally 10 things we've touched on in this conversation that I'm like, that could warrant a whole episode, a whole episode. Yeah, totally. And not even just like Mormonism, this Mormonism, that, but like the backfire effect. Yeah. And having the Mormonism thing on the table as something that people are generally interested in. Yeah. Just in my mind adds a richness to these conversations. Totally. And I was talking to a friend of mine who's, who's kind of in the midst of deconstruction And I was telling her, like, you will get to a point where it doesn't feel emotionally like destructive to learn about church history. Like there were many, many a month where I was like, if I learn one more thing about church history, it will break me. Like it is ruining me. Like I'm emotional over it. I would sob. I would learn new things and I would be devastated by them. And I think it was a necessary step. I think it was definitely like I I had to get through it. But now 
where I am, like how you and I have talked about, it's it's a part of me. I have a very strange fondness for it. And I do feel angry. I feel angry at a lot of things that go on that hurt a lot of people that are very manipulative that I really, really don't like. But as far as learning about the church and learning about its origins and the people who were in charge, that feels more interesting to me now than anything else. It doesn't hurt me in the way it used to. And I hope that for people that are deconstructing because it is so painful. I've said it before. It feels like somebody died. It felt like one by one, like people in my life were dying. Like the more I learned about church history, like, you know, learning about Joseph Smith, it was like, I mean, it was like twisting the knife every time. Now, I mean, I love the way Lindsay Hanson Park talks about it. I mean, she's like, she's my icon with Mormonism because I think she just, she's so invested in Mormonism in a non-emotional way. Like she loves to talk about it and learn about it. And she wants active Mormons and post-Mormons to be on the same page and to be honest with themselves and to talk about history and to not let our emotions run rampant so that we're like, we're losing the plot a little bit. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yes. I think Amen to all of that. And I feel like there's, and maybe I'm biased towards, I mean, I know I'm biased towards this, but I do feel like interestingly, when you're talking about being in that corner store in New York, Uh I feel like Mormonism, again, my ears are always open to it, but I feel like people are getting more and more interested in it. Yeah. In a broader sense. Yeah. Like I just saw, do you know, Jake Shane, the Uh, uh, CPSA guy? He just stitched one of the BYU, those insane Ask a BYU student thing. And yeah, so bad. But it's all over TikTok. Like there's just so much that I think fascinates people about it for good and for bad. And so I think that, yeah, there just feels like so many avenues to explore. I think whether I feel like I, you know, sick of talking about it, no, but I do feel like I always kind of have this defense mechanism or the sense of like wanting to say like, yes, I'm doing post-Mormon content, but yeah. And I feel like that's the thing that I've, I've made peace with like, people are going to think what they're going to think, but I do always want to kind of clarify like, yes, it's post-Mormon content, but it's so much more than that to me. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. I mean, and it's exactly what you're saying. It is a study on humans in general. I always want to be the type of person who listens to people with other opinions. Yeah. People who disagree, people who, you know, I don't align with politically or spiritually or whatever. Like, I don't want to be the type of person who can't handle hearing something like that. And I also, in doing that, in wanting to participate in that, I also want to speak in a way that makes people see what I'm actually trying to say and want to participate and not feel scared of it. It brings up this interesting point, too, that I've thought so much about because I just went on another podcast. Do you know Bethany Garcia? Mm-mm. What's their podcast? The Garcia Diaries. Anyway, it was interesting because I like kind of had prepared in my head, like, okay, they're going to ask me about my story. And then we get on and and Bethany says, yeah, my sister actually converted to LDS church like oh, a year ago. And so immediately in my mind, I'm like, shift, 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 shift. Yeah. Like the way I'm going to talk about this and not in a disingenuous way at all. Like, yeah. I feel like people will find that disingenuous, but- like, for example, I just had my mom and sisters on my podcast. Did I talk about Mormonism the way I talk about it when I'm not talking to active members? No. I know. I actually know. I noticed this because what I you do what I always do 
which is when I'm talking to active members, I say step away. Mm. I still, I, well, when I stepped away uh-huh, or when uh-huh. I, when I decided, you know, I never say, well, when I left the church, yeah, we change our language, we change our language. And yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad I thing, don't but, know we, either. but I think everybody does it to a certain extent. And I think it's fine. Like in my mind, that's been another journey of doing the podcast is like, I do talk about it differently when I'm talking to different people. And I actually interviewed someone, she's lovely. And she said to me after we interviewed she is out of the church, but she is like, I don't think I'll ever remove my records. Like I consider myself Mormon. And I was kind of thinking as once we finished, I was like, am I just like being a chameleon to like, if anyone comes on my podcast, it's like, oh yeah, I agree. Like fuck the church. I'm like, yeah, I agree. Or someone's like, you know, the church has good things. Yeah, I agree. Whatever. But I'm like, no, I actually really do agree with all those things. And when I'm talking to a different person and they're bringing up a point to me of like, well, the church did this wonderful thing for me. I'm like, oh yeah, that's really true. Yeah. And it feels sometimes like, oh, am I like wishy-washy or am I not standing for something? But in my mind, I'm like, is that not how, not to say like putting myself on a pedestal, but I'm like, oh, I actually think that's a really good thing. I mean, I just could not relate more. And people have given me shit for this in the past where it's like, well, whoever you have on, you just agree with them. And I'm like, probably, yeah, I probably, I always blame it. I'm like, I'm a double Libra. Okay. I just, <laughs> this is what happens. I don't even I have that d- excuse. <laughs> I don't have a real personality. Okay. I just like morph into whoever I'm around, but I do it because I genuinely see a lot of value in many different things that people say. And again, like you and I, like, it's like not to like pat myself on the back, but <laughs> Like when, when I have active members or friends or people talk to me about that, like I have siblings who are active, parents who are active. And when I talk to them about it, literally, I'm not hiding that I think it's good for them. I'm not hiding that, you know, we go to baptisms, we go to baby blessings. I don't feel this is a totally personal, but I don't feel triggered by them. I am totally okay to participate in Mormon activities. And I see like we we just went to a family member's baptism a few weeks ago. and. I saw like the joy in, in his face. And I saw the, you know, this family thing. And like, I am not lying when I say like, oh, I saw that that was such a good experience for them. And I love that they got to do that together. And that seems so valuable for them. Like, just because I wouldn't do it doesn't mean that I'm lying to their face when I'm like, that's great. You know, and we write them a card and we say, it's so great that you're getting baptized. We love you. We love that you're part of our family. I'm not bullshitting anybody. It's just that. I have tried in, in leaving the church, I have tried to make a commitment that when people bring me these things that are genuine to them and they say, well, I love this part of it. I love the community. I love my ward. Like what, who am I to say? Well, it's harmful because my experience was harmful. Totally. It's like, can we not let other people experience life differently? Like totally. We have to, that is like what I want to scream to everybody on the internet is that like, can you guys not let somebody else have a different experience? Like, can you not like, I've especially noticed it with pregnancy, birth, things like that, where when I talk about it, when I'm like, oh yeah, I felt really good. And I've had a great pregnancy and people are like, well, pregnancy sucks and I hate it. And you're going to hate it. And it's like, can we not let somebody else have a different experience than you? Like, can we not accept that the world is not yours? Yes. It does not exist to validate you. Yes. So this concept of kind of agreeing with people, I, I don't think that it is, you know, being a chameleon. I don't think that it is it is being disingenuous. I think that it is seeing actual value in, in other experiences that are not mine. And other opinions, even opinions that you don't necessarily agree with. Yeah. I don't find a lot of value. I feel like 
this will sound funny considering what I do, but I don't like being a contrarian. Yeah. And like, I will if I need to. Like, yeah. obviously, if someone's like, the church does no harm, I'll be like, no, it does. Like, I'm not scared to contradict, but I don't think that there's as much value in just like contradicting people just to do it yes. than some people think well, that there is. Well, and I have my opinions. I have like my beliefs. I have my experiences. I have things that happened to me and how they shaped me. And I will gladly share those things. And mine, you know, like you're saying about the church doing harm, it's like if somebody comes to you and says, well, the church never has done any harm and and it doesn't do any harm. And it's like, well, just like you don't want me to discredit your good experiences, you cannot discredit my bad experiences. And that's where what I was talking about earlier about the anger thing, when people congratulate me on not being an angry ex-Mormon, I don't necessarily like hurt for myself. I hurt for the women out there who are hurt and angry, who people write off right away because it's, it's icky. I don't want to deal yeah, with somebody. Angry. It's not palatable. Yeah. yeah. It's not. It, well, they're not, it's, they're angry. So they can't, it's like, so their experience is just not real. Like it just didn't happen. What about people who suffered horrific things at the hands of bishops or the church or leaders or, you know, ward member, like it's just not real because they're mad about it. Like, what world is that? Yes. And what would you expect the response to be? Yeah. Anger is such a valid, healthy, reasonable response to so much of this. No, literally. And it's like, I talk about my my bishops. Maybe I said this on Girls Camp. I loved all my bishops. I didn't have one thing happen in a bishop's office that I was uncomfortable with. When I got divorced, the only divorce attorney I knew knew was my ex-bishop. And I called him and I keep in touch with him and I love his family. And I, I had a very healthy, normal, safe relationship with all of those people and all those men in my life. So I'm just going to say, well, nobody's ever had a bad experience with a bishop. That's just can't happen. It can't happen. Yeah, I didn't. I, it's like, how how small can our yes. world be? Or something's wrong with you if yes. you had a bad experience and you want to talk about it as opposed to, oh, maybe I had a good experience with this system, but this system still has many areas, as any system does, yeah. of improvement. Well, and why is your positive experience so contingent upon everybody else agreeing with it? Like, why is your, you know, like me, who I like, I liked my bishops. That doesn't change no matter what anybody says. Like, I'm like, that was positive for me. I can with surety say that it was positive for me. Nobody can take that away from me. Why do so many people feel that their positive experiences are taken away from them because somebody had a negative experience. Like I said this in, I think my, one of my anniversary episodes for the podcast where you can put two people in a church meeting and one of them could have a wonderful experience and one of them could have a terrible experience and both are extremely real and the reactions from both people are extremely valid. Why is that not just a fact for people? I don't know. That's the part of the psychology that really... I try to be patient with, you know, on social media and I see people say things to you and to other post-Mormons and to active members and to all these things. And I'm just like, how have we gotten to a place where we can't even talk about having a different experience? You know, I want to clarify before you say that, that you do a very good job. I mean, I could praise you for another hour, but you do a very good job, very, very graceful with how you, you, how you handle it. I really appreciate that. And I think The mental loop that I go in that keeps me up at night is feeling like, okay, my experience might have been this, but for the people who did have such terrible experiences, 
who are maybe in less of a position to speak to it Mm -hmm. because of the depth of the trauma or because of various layers of privilege. Sometimes I worry about saying, well, let's let everyone have their own experience because I feel like, do I need to be the person to speak on behalf of the people who've had such negative experiences? Yeah, that makes sense. And that gets tricky because that's kind of the game or the balance. It's not a game. That's like the balance I'm always trying to walk is like, I like for with your example of the two people in the church building, it's like someone might have a wonderful experience, but they're listening to a talk that's objectively maybe homophobic or sexist or whatever. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just gets really complicated. And I don't think there's any easy answers to well, it. Well, Totally. Because it's like, you want to walk this balance of validating every single person. Yes. And like, this is where like, literally as I'm talking about it, I'm like working through this because I want everybody to agree with me. I mean, I want everybody to see that I'm like, I can critically think and I can accept all different types of people. But sometimes like you do have to put your foot down and you, you do have to say this is wrong. Yeah. Homophobia is wrong. The sexism is wrong. The history of polygamy is wrong. You have to draw the line somewhere. Like when people say, well, I love going to church and I love my community that I can find space for that. I can find truth. in. if somebody comes to me and says, I don't think that gay people will ever be in the presence of God. I have no problem saying that is not correct. And that's me. Well, mean evil is probably the stronger word. And that's a really destructive and horrific thing to say. So I don't know. I think that it's, yeah, but it is, a, it's a balancing act because it is. especially as podcasters and as like people who want to grow an audience and they want people to, you know, I want people to connect with the podcast. I want people to feel like we're friends. I don't want to push people away but I also have to be human in my experiences and say, that was hurtful. That was bad. That is wrong. I don't agree with that. My moral compass does not agree with that. And it's hard because I know that when I say those things, I know that doing this episode, I know that people will say things. I know I'll get DMs. I know I'll get reviews, whatever it might be. But it's like, what can you do? I know. What can you do? And that's the thing. I've always really admired you for this. And I don't know, you're the first person that crossed my radar who said this, but you always say like, send it in a group chat. Yes. Like you're allowed <laughs> to think and say yeah. whatever the hell you want to, but just like there's a time and a place. And yeah. that's what I think like going back to like, am I going to tell my mom certain church things? No. Why? Because it wouldn't be productive for either of us. Yeah. Even if I think something she's doing is objectively harmful, it's like, it's not worth it. But like, can I text my friend? Can yeah. I text my husband? Can I go over to Jed and Carly, our neighbor's house and say like, this was insane. Yes, you can absolutely do that. That's the thing. Like, and I feel like you're talking about this too, with the whole validation loop of like, why are we going to the internet where every single human being with various experiences and thoughts and opinions are and wanting them to validate our singular experience and make a recipe that doesn't have raisins because I don't like raisins. Well, and it's like, I, I just feel like everything I consume, I either want it to make me feel good or I want it to challenge me a little bit. Like I, you know, and of course I see things on the internet that make me mad, that are stupid, that I haven't, I literally told you, I have a note in my phone of stupid things people have said to me. I would never go out of my way to be like, well, you need to change your mind on that. Like you need to really, you need to change it so that it fits in with me. And anyway, so that that's, I mean, that comes down to why I've grappled with even talking about this and even doing an episode about it, because I know that that is inevitable. And I'm just like, I can only encourage 
that like we step out of ourselves for a few minutes and just say like, is it okay that this person had a different experience? Is it okay? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it is. It is. It has to be in order to to live a healthy life. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's like, again, that's why I love Lindsay Hanson Park. And I love the way she talks about everything, because I think that anybody, wherever you fall on the spectrum of Mormonism can listen to Lindsay Hanson Park. She literally only wants to talk about facts and the human condition. Like that is how, and I thought, okay, wait, this is kind of off topic, but I, I thought about it when we were talking or when I said polygamy, like is polygamy objectively wrong? And this is a big one that I think people get hung up on because did you know about polygamy? I knew about polygamy from as long back as, as far back as I can remember. You yes. did? Yeah. Really? Did, did you not? No. Really? No. I feel like I, polygamy, it wasn't, it didn't even cross my radar as like a thing to even think about. It was like, oh yeah, people think the polygamy thing was weird, but like, of course we had to do it. That was like how I, I never, it was never like polygamy. What? I did not know that Joseph Smith had multiple wives until I was probably 20. Really? Yes. I feel like they talked about it in like seminary. Am I imagining that? Either I blocked it out. Like I remember the conversation and the girl who told, I literally have talked to her about it. I'm like, you know, you told me about that. Like you were the one who- You were the bearer you were the of the one who, dro- who dropped the bomb. <laughs> Polygamy is such a huge thing that people either, it either destroys their shelf or they have an MLA formatted essay for you about why it's okay. True. And I mean, I could discuss this to death. But something, again, Lindsay Hanson Park, sorry. I hope she's listening. Shout out, Lindsay. I love her so much. I'm like, she's like my celebrity (laughs) crush. She's amazing. But she was talking about polygamy on Mormon stories. And she was talking about how a justification that a lot of people give polygamy is, well, we don't know if there was sex. We Mm. don't know for sure. We don't know what happened behind closed doors. We don't know. We don't know if he had a sexual relationship. I mean, post-Mormons will say we do. But if we're going the opposite way and we're saying, okay, let's say we don't know. Regardless, women in the early church days were property. They were taken, their whole lives were taken from them against their will. They did, we have like, you know, historical documents about how they did not want to be in plural marriages. The sex of it almost doesn't even matter because their, their age, I mean, if we want to use Mormon word, their agency was taken from them. They didn't want to be in those situations. So when people say, well, we don't know if there was sex, it's like, but is that what we're reducing this mm. to? You know what I mean? I've been dying to talk to you about this. Yeah, Did I text you about this? No. Okay. Because I was, yeah, I was like obsessed when she said it. And I was like, Haley, Haley will appreciate this. And I don't know. It just, it blew my mind that I was like, that's so true. Like that at the end of the day, women were really not even treated like human beings. And that, I mean, we haven't even continued your story. I've gotten us off on so many tangents, but, but as women in the church, I think that that felt very validating to me that this whole system was built on women really not being that important. Ooh, yeah, And like, regardless of what they were, used for what their role was. It doesn't matter if it was sex. It doesn't matter if it was a a ceiling. It doesn't matter if it was to bear children. It doesn't, their value was so low. And I don't know, how do you, how do you like come out of that? Like, how do you rebuild yourself up? I sometimes think I still hold a lot of it. Yeah, I still sometimes think that I am, I mean, not in a, not in an emo way. I'm not trying to say anything, but sometimes I do think that my inherent worth is lower or that you know, the man's opinion is, you know, maybe even subconsciously 
Yeah. Do you find that? Yeah. You I do? think I keep thinking that polygamy example is so good because to me, what's most upsetting about that whole situation is spiritual mal- manipulation yeah. by a spiritual authority figure. Yes. And boy, oh boy, do I relate yeah. to feeling like <laughs> on a very different scale, obviously not to compare necessarily, but I do feel like it's so sad to me. One of the saddest things to me is looking at myself as a Mormon woman and saying, no, I am empowered though. Yeah. When now on the other side of it, I'm like, I was in my mind, in my personal experience, I believe I was spiritually manipulated into thinking through like benevolent sexism, essentially Yeah. that I was valued, but I wasn't objectively. I just wasn't valued. It's so pandering. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. But you fall for it because you have great respect for these spiritual authority figures and you've been taught to your whole life. And so, yeah, I definitely think that still runs deep. Like even in my marriage, sometimes I'll feel that like, wait, what? Like, why am I? Bentley will laugh as if I defer to him very frequently, (laughs) but on certain things, I feel like I'm deferential or the people pleasing things. Those things go so deep. Well, and it's almost like I see it in like the, like in other people, like deferring to my male counterpart or things like that, where I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Why you would go to him. Like that makes sense. Like, of course, when I'm like, wait, no, it does. Like, what do you mean? Like, no, it doesn't. And I especially think that in our careers, which is like, I mean, and I've said this before, I used to think like, why do I have a podcast? Like, why, what do I, what did I do to deserve? Who, who cares about what I have to say? You'll never meet a man who says I shouldn't have a podcast. (laughs) Not one single Not one. You will never male. meet a male who says like, oh, I shouldn't take up the space. I shouldn't take, I don't really have anything to say. I don't, I want to fit in with that. I shouldn't do that. That's it. But you will find women again and again and again who feel that same way. And so, I mean, I don't even necessarily think it is specific to Mormonism. I think it's very American. I think it's very patriarchal. I think that it is baked into society. Like, I think that women in in Mormonism especially were very devalued. But I also think that about like the early days of America, you know, where they weren't allowed to do literally anything. Totally. I I just think that it is so built into our system to feel undervalued. Absolutely. I mean, again, we could discuss because then we get into martyrdom and then we get into motherhood and martyrdom and modesty. The three M's, motherhood, martyrdom and modesty. Like, it is just, it is, it runs so deep. I wish we could, t- I mean, it runs I wish so we could deep talk for so long, but I am excited. I want to have you on the podcast. Well, I've thought of two things. I want to have Tell you me. on girls camp. One thing, cause you were, when you were talking about this, Kylie Kadich is the best person to be friends with as a post Mormon, because she is so fascinated by yes. it. And she has so many questions. I want to bring you and her on. Oh my gosh. I'm literally her having her, questions. I'm literally having her on. <gasps> And I think I'm going to interview her next week. You should ask her like a couple top of mind questions because she always has the most fascinating Mormon questions. Oh my gosh. I'm like, wait, how are you thinking of these things? Well, I tell people all the time. I mean, adult friendships are so near and dear to my heart. I mean, you're somebody who I've met in the last year. Like I, I tell people I met my, I met my best friends in my late twenties. Like I have my friend, my, a different Kylie, but who I've been friends with since I was 15. But other than that, like I really found my people late in life and it came at, you know, while I was deconstructing, I met a lot of people that I bonded with through that, like Lucy and Ash and people who were in the same space. And then after Mormonism, I met you, I met Kylie, like all of these people. And I think that like, 
I mean, just the network, a network of women is so pivotal to like so survival. And yes, if you, amen. if you don't have it, it is, it so exists. It is out there. Me and Ash just did an episode where we talked about this, like the village is out there. It might look different than you think, but the village mm, is there. I love that. And I think especially with where we live, where deconstruction and Mormonism is so prevalent for all of us. That's why I said like, there's nothing like what you have done because of course there's tons of post-Mormon, you know, podcasts and people talk about it and there's Mormon stories and all these things, but to have kind of a female centric, like millennial women deconstruct, like it feels niche. Like, I don't know if when you started it, if you were like, how many people could possibly connect with it? I could name a bajillion people who could connect with it. And it's more than just deconstructing Mormonism. It really is like growing as women and, and finding value in ourselves again. And I don't know. I just, I just, I applaud what you do. Oh, I love that. And I'm so grateful that you came on. I seriously, I'm like looking at the time. I'm like, I didn't even scratch like one, 1% of what I could no, say and you talk know to what? you about. I think this, I loved this conversation. I'm pretty sure we stopped I your story it. at like going on your mission. And Which there's is like, great. there's years after that. So you'll have to come back for a part two. In my mind, that's the best kind of conversations. And I think you are the master of that. Oh, no, and no, 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 I no. will very quickly sing your praises. No, 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 no. no I have to, I have to, I have to. I'm going to turn down <laughs> Haley's mic. <laughs> you just turn up like the crickets again. I'm like, wait, hold on, hold on. Okay, go. Wait, hold on. Let me turn this up. Do the spooky music. <laughs> the spooky just music. the whole time. <laughs> I, you were talking about Kate Kennedy and I just feel like being in this space has been so beautiful because I feel this way about you. I feel this way about JC mm-hmm. Smith. Mm-hmm. Like I feel emotional, but I just feel like I couldn't be doing what I'm doing without people who had like gone before me. And I remember before I even started my podcast, like I would listen to you and you would say certain things that I'm like, whoa, that's so brave. Like she's doing it. She has this huge platform and she's saying these things like, okay, I can do it. Like I can do it. Women can say stuff. Yeah. That women, <laughs> we can say women stuff. Can we can. We, we really, really can. can. But how crazy that that is like beautiful and also crazy that it, you know, yeah. ever needed to be that thought pattern. But it feels very wonderful and full circle to yeah. feel like, oh, these are, it's like steps of people like giving each other permission to do that. Totally. Well, we just need each other. Absolutely. Like that's what, like, that's what I'm learning. Like, especially, I mean, at when this episode comes out, I will likely have a child at the time we're recording. <laughs> she still exists within my body, Yep, yep, yep. but I just know like, as the days go on, I'm like, I need, I need, I need my women. Like I really do. I love my partner. My daughter has a great dad, but like I need but women. She needs aunties. <laughs> she needs aunties. Lots and lots. She needs so many, but I need like literally like the I opened the door and I was like, I just lactated. Like I need women. I don't, I mean, I know you have sisters. I'm I'm in the minority where I don't have sisters. So I'm like collecting women yes, every great. day of my life. Sign me up. Like I'm like, don't leave me. We're bonded. I hope that anybody listening, any women listening, I mean, just I mean, don't be scared to first of all be wrong. I think that that's a, we'll do a little summary of our Great. of Love our it. high points. Don't be scared to be wrong. Don't be scared to lean on women. Don't be scared of your own voice. I mean, that sounds like Ash and I were just saying in our episode, like, isn't it annoying that as you get older, like all the Pinterest quotes are true? So true. Literally all of them. I'm like, okay, I made fun of those for five years. I know. And me always trying not to repost to my story. I'm like, no, literally. I don't need to. I don't need to. I don't need literally. to. Literally, but not being scared of that and not being scared. I mean, and Haley's podcast is such a great place. If you are in the in the recent post Mormon, if you're in the nuanced space, if you feel confused, if you feel like you don't fit in, there's somewhere that you fit in. There's some uh, there's some next step for you and somebody else. I think that the main takeaway is that 
there's probably somebody else who needs you. Probably somebody else who needs you to talk about it, who needs you to say it or needs you to be there for them. So hopefully Haley, I'm not even going to put myself in the category and don't try to fight it, but Haley should be your example of how to be brave with things like this. So thank you for coming In the name of the bad broadcast. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. Remember, you can catch a new episode of The Bad Broadcast every Monday. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss anything. Also, I want to hear from you. So please leave a rating and review. You can also follow me on Instagram at The Bad Broadcast for all the behind the scenes action and more information. Talk to you next week. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.